everybody welcome to the 222nd edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sad boy sage reporting for duty (laughs) i got the saints hat on so you know it's real um yeah like i was talking to dustin before we started recording you know drew's been my uh the saints quarterback for you know 15 years so potentially to see him gone it's like damn this i remember aaron brooks I remember Aaron Brooks laughing when he threw a pick, you know, so I've been through this. It's been a nice reprieve from sucking with Drew Brees. So, you know, I'm here. I'm ready to talk lasers, but just knowing my heart of hearts, I'm sad that the Saints season's over. Seems like we were also uh, heartburn or or gassy boys, too. Both had the pizza on Saturday. And I, I yeah, yeah, we, we ordered the pizza. Uh, so sizzle pie has this like deal where you get a large pizza sit 12 12 garlic knots and a six pack for like 40 bucks and we we went hard on the pizza and i mean olga watched the the hawks game pretty tipsy so that was really fun to watch uh and then we were texting this morning and you're like oh man i don't feel so good I, I i think i just i had too much pizza i'm like are you like, are we in each other's space? Like, <laughs> unfortunately, I had pizza tonight because uh, your boy was a little bit, <laughs> your boy was a sad boy. Were you uh, in your feelings? Yeah. You, you know, like, I don't really care about wins or losses a lot of the time. I would have really, really liked it if the Saints won. So it's like, damn. Let me eat this pizza. All right, I was I was in my my feelings this weekend as well. Like just really missing going to the Blazer games. Uh, I tweeted out just getting that early, even walking around the fan shop, looking at things I don't need to buy, but still looking because it's just what I do. There's the cheap beer up on the three hundred level, like four dollar cans of a PBR. And then, you know, high-fiving randos after just a massive play or collectively losing our shit if there is uh, a game winner. And, and it's going on almost a year since we've had that experience. And I, I don't like what, what this new normal is right now, Sage. So I was, I was, uh, I was all up in my feelings the, this weekend because I, I'm so thankful they're playing basketball, but it, it's – it's not the same as being there with, you know, I take, I take you, I take Olga, I take my dad. Like it's just time for me to really build relationships. Like I do it through basketball. Like let's go to a game, let's grab a beer. uh, Let's hang out and enjoy watching the team team that we love. And it's been a really big part of my life and, you know, how I, you know, just communicate with, with my loved ones. And yeah, just, I, I think it's, gonna happen uh you know hopefully we will get back to the arena someday hopefully later this year at the end of the year maybe early 2022 whenever it is but um i know the players miss us and i think it's reciprocated oh yeah i mean you know like my life with going to games and not like that's the only really thing like i work at home so a lot of my social interaction really like 
face to faces at Blazers games. So th- that's a bummer that it doesn't happen. But you know, it, it is what it is, man. I'm trying. I'm not trying to get sick or not trying to get any of my loved ones sick. So if not going to Blazers games for a while is the thing to you know keep the people that I love safe, then oh, for sure. It- even going to a game in this climate would not match the experience and atmosphere of a traditional game day. So the, I think it's, it's not even apples and oranges. It's, it's apples and a food that hasn't yet to even be discovered yet. Like it's two completely different things, two completely different experiences. But yeah, man, I mean, Let's recap the the games of the last week. Yeah, so our Trailblazers were in the midst of the 10, 10 out of the 12 at home, uh, played four games, went three and one, and it, it, it was a bit of a struggle. Every single night, Sage, you had the Blazers uh, coming back and, and beating the Toronto Raptors on a C.J. McCollum game-winning bucket, 112-111. They then go down to Sacramento for the second time in three games and come back from basically 20, both in the second quarter and in the third quarter, uh, to pull out a shootout, uh, 132 to 126. Uh, They come back home on the second night of a back-to-back, and Indiana just hands us our lunch, holding us to under under 100 points for the first time all season uh they they kicked our kicked our butts and took names beating us 111 to 87 and then portland bounced back with a strong second half defensive performance over the atlanta hawks despite losing cj mccollum at the half to a left ankle sprain getting the w 112 to 106 at the moment as it stands your trailblazers are eight and five in the western conference two and a half games out of first and currently the fifth seed uh, in the West and just a game behind Utah for, for the second seed. So it is still jumbled up. Um, I don't know, Sage, if these four games taught me anything that I didn't already know or necessarily made me feel any better uh, about the progress. Uh, you know, as we predicted, uh, you predicted uh, a three and one week with the loss coming against Toronto. I predicted a four and no week. So, you know, three and one was probably the lowest standard uh, result that, that I was, you know, willing to to accept, and it's it's a little concerning. I, I think that in every one of these games, three of which were at home, Portland found a way to trail by at least sixteen points in, in each contest. Sage, what do you make of that, and why are we why are we seeing this this trend? Um, and will it continue? I, I think that there's two ways to look at it. We we get down, but we have the ability and the heart to fight back in most of those games. So there, there's a benefit in, in that. Teams realize, especially now with Nurk out and CJ Hurt, that they can just make life miserable for Dame by sending a double at him on, on, on uh, pick and rolls or... Uh, just really contesting the paint when he drives because he's been driving a lot and has been meeting a lot of bodies. So teams have been mixing it up a lot against us. So there's times where the shots aren't falling and Dame can't drive and other, uh, other teams are just 
gaining points easily because our interior defense and our defense in general isn't as top-notch as it should be. You know, that we dig deep and fight for victories, and it happened three out of four times this week. So, you know, it is a trend where teams just make it life difficult for us because there's no interior pressure from the dribble drive. But we we, we stole some games and showed some heart. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see that because, you, you know, you've seen teams that don't show that heart and the pride to play games and just take the L's. At least we've shown it the pride to win games, which I think is a is a plus. Yeah, and you mentioned teams selling out to to stop Damian Lillard. I've noticed that as well. Nearly every team is defending him like it is the postseason. I would say that I think our troubles in finding the, these these deep holes is on the defensive end of the floor. Outside of that Indiana game, we scored at least 112 points in those three contests, which you know you'll take every single night, despite it just being a couple of points under our our season average. I think there's two key items that are really the bugaboo right now for the Trailblazers. I think one is starting the game out and it's just not coming mentally prepared, not having the right focus, the right mindset. And we really give up a lot of easy baskets in the opening quarter. I mean, if you look at the Toronto game, we gave up 32 points in the opening period. Uh, The following game in Sacramento, we gave up, I'm still stunned we gave up 43 points to the Sacramento Kings. And then we gave up 38 points to the Atlanta Hawks in the first period. Like these slow starts, I I think are just a byproduct of the team not being emotionally ready to to play. And, you know, I get it. This is a much different year. You don't have the, the fans to create energy either way, but we are seeing a trend where it is Portland is the team that is coming out slow footed and the other team pouncing. So, so they're finding out a way to handle it uh, much better than the Blazers. And the, the second key area that I think is cause for concern is Portland's second unit. And this is what really dug us the hole against the Indiana Pacers. It, it, it Pacers had a 33 to 10 quarter uh, against the Blazers. We, we scored 10 points in the second quarter and and granted it was a second night of a back-to-back, but both teams were in the midst of three games and four nights. Uh, Terry Stotts decided to go five bench unit players to start the second period, uh, a unit that we haven't seen a lot of productivity from uh, a unit that doesn't really move the basketball and a unit that's not really familiar with with playing with one another. I mean, I, I don't think we're deep enough to where we can just trot out, hockey lineups where you just switch, you know, five, five, five players every other, you know, five minutes. Um, You know, we've, we've talked on this podcast, there always needs to be one or two adults on the floor um, and adults starting players or players that prioritize defense. And for the Blazers, I think that's just on Terry Stotts. Like you have to manage the rotations. Yes. You want to expand the rotations. That's fine. But maybe take Dame out a little bit earlier in the first period and switch CJ in there. Like I think he gets so rigid in there that he kind of forces himself into being like, Oh, well, my guys are tired. I need to expand the rotation. So I have to play five new players on on a completely new shift. Um, I thought that really dug us deep. um, And and it's something that we have seen from Terry, just not really getting these rotations down. I mean, we're we're not going to harp too much on, on mellow and cancer because that may be what it is for, for a while. But 
just, I, I think, is there an awareness for, from Terry? Like, is he just being stubborn? Does he, does he frankly care? Like, I, it's just, it's tough because watching a game as, as a fan, you, you see something that's being trotted out there, you know, like this is not going to work and it just blows up miserably in our face. Like what kind of give Sage? Yeah. I agree with you that there should be a uh, legitimate ball handler for significant for every minute that there is on the court. We're, we're talking and about you, a five you, minute. You say ball. Yes. You say ball handler. Yeah. And I just want to point out something that just was a huge red flag. When I look at the box score, Anthony Simons plays nine minutes. He was a minus 13. He took five shots all from three. He did not hit a single one. That's not what we need in a ball handler, a creator. You have other players on the floor who need to eat. Rodney needs to be set up. Mello needs to be set up. Uh, Gary needs to be set up. Ennis, thankfully, can kind of, you know, clean up around the basket. But th- this is, again, and I won't go off on too much of a tangent, but this is why me and you and a lot of the Blazers community wanted just a legit distributor as that third ball handler um Anthony can play play him at the two that's fine but he we we really have to stop this experiment it's, I mean I we need to I, I just... mean it's five it's five minutes though it, I mean yeah in the game in the game got out of hand and it was over like we we dug ourselves that that hole and it was I mean Indiana was like sharks in the water and they smelt that blood I think that we had we have to get Anthony some time sometime right do we though because I would absolutely. disagree now, yeah, with the circumstances that have happened. Absolutely. Yes. Now, but a fully At healthy the, blazer team, I, I don't like, I, I had this conversation with somebody on Twitter and we were just talking and we were like, yeah, Anthony's good. He's going to be good, but now he's not. And, and the way we're built, what we gave up for Covington, uh, bringing back in mellow, using our mid-level exception, going right to that tax line. The way we're built is to win now. I, we we don't have time to develop Anthony. And it's it's but not it, a it's fair. It's important situ- to develop young players that you think are going to be good because there's no it's five there's minutes. no room for error. And if you okay, yes, it is five minutes. If if you can't be trusted for five minutes, that should say something about whether this player should be getting any playing time. Like I think maybe go to the but- G League or it's it's not. I, I basically I've seen enough. Like I really I would like rather Ant- get to know what Anthony can do in a position where shit gets tough. Then, I mean, there's players that are playing real rotation minutes that don't look healthy or good enough to play those real rotation minutes. If he has to experiment with small bursts of Anthony Simons in a in a role that may not be right for him right this second, I'm willing to do it. Yeah, I think he's a two right now. But it's it was a five-minute stint where if he had it, it would have been good. But the Pacers blitzed him and made life miserable for him. So CJ he had was, to play. He was taking open shots, and they were just bricks. He's shooting 30% from the year. Full court pressing him. They were doubling him at the after he got a pick. They made life t- difficult for Anthony. But at the same time, I know we're trying to win, but shouldn't we develop an asset that everybody thinks is good? I know it wasn't the most opportune time to bring him out, but it's like you at look least at, have to look not, at, you have to at least play him a 
in some stru- in, in some stretches. The Lakers aren't developing players right now. The Clippers aren't developing players well, right who do now. They, have? The they don't have the anyone Bucks exciting. Aren't. They don't have anyone. They don't. They don't need exciting. They've got a championship team. That's what I'm saying. But we're like, not there right. We made, but we made moves in the off season to act like we were there. And I think, how would you have felt trying... if CJ was there and Anthony was the two and uh, Hood was off the bench? Would it have been a a, a big deal? Or was it just no. because of the 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 playmaking responsibilities. So it was it's, because Anthony was asked to be the point guard. He, he, in my opinion, if he's going to play, he has to play off the ball. But he, he, we can't afford that right now, right? If my problem with Anthony, and I don't mean to like really go in on him, I, I again, I like Anthony. I just know every time he comes in the game, he brings the ball up the court, he calls for a high screen, and if the shot's not there, which he takes quite a bit, he just passes the ball. Like he, he doesn't, it's not getting any better. And defensively, you're not really gaining a whole lot either. I, I'm just saying like, I would rather if, so right now, yes, given Rodney Hood recovering from his injury and now the injury to see Jim McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic, there are minutes available. I am not naive to that. Like I know he probably will be getting some time, but as we discussed on last week's episode, I would, like, let's try to see what Nasir Little can do. Um, Gary Trent Jr. also should be getting more minutes with all of these players going down. Like, absolutely. You, so I, I guess that's what I'm saying is like, what is this coming from Neil? Neil saying, hey, we got to play this guy. He's the best guy ever drafted. Is is Terry saying, no, we're, I am, I'm dead set on, on developing this player. Um, I, I just know that if you play, like our bench has been a weakness all year. It, which is unfortunate because it was supposed to be a strength. When you try to play five bench players at once against a just a hounding defense, I mean, that shit might work against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Indiana Pacers put on one of the best defensive performances I've seen a team do against Portland. It was like watching varsity versus JV. And at that moment, you know, I, it was like playing the old Memphis Grizzlies, a grit and grind. We were down maybe 10 or 15. It felt like, 25 30 just how, how well they were playing defense and we just we, we couldn't afford to kind of fall behind by that much so like i hope terry kind of learns from that and says okay i i, I gotta keep you know maybe a dj or a cub for for defense um and then yeah one one of right now just the way that the roster is constructed dame or cj and unfortunately it can't happen because cj's hurt but at the time dame or cj should have been on on the floor i mean maybe if you can build up a lead but you can, I go, think you, can try, you can try a lineup like that but we just keep falling behind. like we, we just don't do ourselves any favors in the first two quarters of the game to to develop like it, it'd be nice if we could blow out some teams so we could get ants a little bit more run but we're always coming from behind i i think that there are times and situations where you can experiment was the pacers game the team to do it no but I don't want to. I don't want to say Terry can't do this because I agree that there are some teams like the Cavs or, you know, other teams where we need five minutes out of Anthony. Okay, let let's let let's see what happens. And we might we don't know the whole situation. Maybe maybe CJ was gassed for those extra five minutes. Yeah, I think it was a bad call in this specific instance. We only have three playmakers. Sometimes 
Dame might have been tired or CJ might have been tired and Anthony was there to spell. And you're probably right. They both gave a lot in that Sacramento comeback. CJ played 42 and a half minutes. Dame played 42. And you're you're probably 100% right. That's why Ant played. But again, it goes back to the offseason when everyone is asking, can we just get like an Austin Rivers, a Chris Dunn, somebody who's not going to break the bank? I mean, just just somebody who can run an offense and give you a little bit on the defensive end. And, and I it, it, I think that's where the frustration is coming from, from, from me. And it's really happening as I'm talking about it is because we've all saw this. It's like you see, um, you know, a car that's running a stoplight. You're like, they're going to get into an accident. Driver's like, nah, nothing's going to happen to me. Well, what, what's going to happen if you keep running stop signs? Mm. An accident's going to happen. So, But I, I think Anthony has played – this season has been the most cons- confident we've seen from Anthony Simons. Pacers played really good defense, really hounding defense, bringing the ball up the court throughout the whole entire game. And then we, when they saw Anthony, they hounded him really, really tough. there's so many circumstances to why a a rotation happened. He wasn't put in the best position ever. It it, it happens. And I I think it's good to get Anthony some run because obviously for this 72 game season, we're going to need Anthony. It's not, it's not the worst thing in the world. I wish that we did have a guard in with him, but Anthony does, does need to get run in this, in this condensed season. Well, with C.J. McCollum going down with that left foot sprain against the Atlanta Hawks, Anthony is going to have to play uh, because we are now down to one creator, and that's Damian Lillard, and he clearly can't play all 48 minutes. So, Sage, what? Who, who's going to answer that bell for the Blazers? We already know what you're going to get from Dame. Who is going to step up and ensure that no matter how long C.J. is out for, that the Blazers can continue to hum on the offensive end? It's a very good question. I'm going to run a thing on NBA Wowie with CJ McCollum off the floor, with Yusuf Nurkic off the floor. Let's see who has stepped up the most in this, this time. It looks like. Melo takes a big step up with his production. Anthony Simons takes a big step up. Gary Trent Jr. takes a pretty big step up in responsibility. And then at, uh, Dame is still Dame and how special he is. I, I think when, when you're dealing with two humongous injuries to two of your more uh, skilled and best creators, really. It's you two think, of your big three. Yeah. Everybody has to step up. Absolutely. But I would imagine that Melo ha- takes more responsibility. He can ISO the best and set things up, set up plays for his teammates, right? Even though we kind of hate it, right now Melo's probably going to play some distributor and play creator, especially in that second unit. So I think Gary Trent, Anthony, and Melo are going to be the big guys that step up from the wings. Then Ennis Cantor is going to produce in in matchups that he's a positive impact in. And Carmelo Anthony has shown the ability in his tenure with the Blazers to win us games. Uh, He was a little bit of a struggle on the defensive end against the, the Toronto Raptors making probably some, some poor decisions on whether to help or not to close out specifically uh, on Chris, 
Chris Boucher, but in the fourth quarter, he caught fire. He had 13 points, uh, a couple of big dagger threes uh, down the stretch. He even had a crucial block late in the fourth quarter. So you can't say Carmelo lost us the game. You can't say he won us the game. What happened was he had a rough first half and he really turned it on in the fourth quarter and and really helped put us over the the hump. And right now we're going to need those type of performances uh, from him, especially in the short term, because he's still such a big shot maker and a big shot taker, uh, especially in the catch and shoot. Right now he's our third best. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, Anthony can't, how many times in the next, let's say CJ's out for a week. How many times do you think Anthony is going to break down his defender and make the right read in, in a game? I looked at his game logs. He has five total assists this year. So, yeah, that's... so I mean, maybe, maybe Stott said, we need you to get buckets. And that was what his, I, that was what he did. I mean, now he has to be a distributor in the, as a guard, but I, I would imagine that Melo takes a bigger step in the playmaking and dribbling and usage bump. I think that that's a. I think he him his increased role gives a haircut to DJJ and uh, Robert Covington because we need the extra playmaking. So I would imagine Melo comes in earlier and one of the two of our wings comes out because yo we need we need the playmaking. Yeah, I mean, I also think now is the time for Gary Trent Jr. to shine. I think his agent secretly is hoping that as well because. When they go into restricted free agents meetings uh, in the summer, I'm sure teams are going to want to know, well, you, you played behind Damon CJ. Like how, how really strong could your production be? And they are probably going to have a few games to point out. Well, our client started X amount of games. Here's how we played against it, how we played alongside an elite point guard. Here's what he can bring. So I'm looking for GT to really step it up defensively and offensively. Do you uh, both see him ends taking a floor. bigger playmaking role? I actually do because I have seen it he in can, his game. He can do it, especially on fast he breaks. Put, he can put the ball on the floor. He's really smart at – what I love about Gary is he doesn't do anything that he can't do. And I, I mean that in, in the most sincere way possible. Like he, he knows he probably doesn't have the best layup package. So what does he do? He gets to the middle of the floor, he stops on a dime and uses fundamentals to get off a nice little mid-range shot if, if the catch and shoot's not there. He, he knows what he's capable of doing on the defensive end. Um, we've seen him have career nights. It's the, the Lakers game was just one example. Uh, the bubble, uh, I, I really look forward to seeing the shots that the GT can get because – you know, we're going to want to keep him around in Portland a long time, whether that's as a starting three or as our sixth man. Is he our uh, starting two for the game sieges out? Because it's guaranteed that he's out for the San Antonio game. And we're recording on a Sunday night. He is Monday. out for the San Antonio game. And Terry Stott started Anthony Simons with, with Dame. I, I don't love starting Anthony Simons. I don't think um, you can do it. And here's the thing about uh, injuries in the NBA. The game that it, ha- it happens you don't expect it, the, a CJ McCollum to get hurt, right? You're just scrambling. Yep. Stotts has a, a day or two to think about what he wants to do with his rotations. I don't think that there's going to be a minute of Anthony and Dame playing on the same time just because of the lack of creators and ball handlers on our team. I think Gary Trent will be the starting two. I, I am I am a big proponent of starting your best five players. I mean, I, the same thing. A starting five is a finishing five. 
Um, yes, you're going to have exceptions to the rule like a Manu Ginobili or a early OKC James Harden. But for the most part, your starting five should be players that you're finishing games with. They should all fulfill a role and they should, they're probably five of your six to seven best players. Gary Trent Jr. is uh, one of our six or seven best players. He's easily our best perimeter. Not easily. He, he and DJ are two of our better perimeter defenders. They're the only two real point of attack guys. I am really excited to see if we do start Gary, if that enhances our defense at all, at least at, at the initial onset of a game to get us off to better starts because you've got Dame, and then you've got Gary, DJ, and Robert. And for all that that Dame does, he he tries on defense. But I watched him specifically uh, on a couple of those games. He doesn't make the best doubling decisions, and he he's not able to recover back to his man. So uh, there's just a couple of breakdowns that he had. But it's not it's not for effort. It's Can just. I, say, I think his best game was against the Kings defensively, game one of the uh, the. Uh, preseason that was his best game he was locked in and engaged so my question to you is if we start the five guys that we're thinking of starting dame uh gary djj robert and ennis who guards ball first against the spurs who who's who's defending the demar Derozan is the leader in usage for the the spurs so who's on demar to start out that game and do you take DJJ out early or do you take uh, Gary out early so that you can have a point of attack defender in the second unit? I mean, I think it's going to depend game by game, opponent by opponent. If you're looking at DeRozan, DeRozan, what plays the four for them essentially? Um, Don't they go four smalls and then a big? DeMar DeRozan went to, uh, he has a very sick father right now. So he went to, uh, be with him for a while so the rotations have been kind of screwy but it looks like that he is it's uh lamarcus aldridge damar keldon uh, lonnie walker and dejounte murray are the starting five i would and, put dame on lonnie walker yeah absolutely so so with this small weird team where do you put djj and gary on this roster this roster specifically I mean, I think I think you can rotate those two on Dejounte. I like Covington's size on on Demar. Demar's actually a pretty strong player. He's a likes very to get, strong guy. Likes to get to his spots on the floor, so I, I like Covington on him. But I think again, the beauty with this lineup, maybe Sands and his Cantor, is you can switch everything. And even against a player like Lamarcus, you know he's going to pop instead of roll, so you can kind of get away with playing Ennis in that in that pick and pop scenario because. I, for one, can live with LaMarcus Aldridge mid-range jump shots. You witnessed it for... But yeah, I like the ability to have a team that can switch. Um, I think it's always good to try different strategies, whether it's going over or under a screen. But if both of those... If your big's not hedging when you're trying to go over, like everything has to be in sync. Switching is like... It's really the easiest thing to do. And why the Warriors were so good in their heyday is because they had their bigs could switch. And now you've got they got like Draymond on the perimeter locking down the other team's lead guard. Um, so I, I think the more switchability we have out on the floor, I think it's just going to lead to better opportunities for us to get stops and get out and transition, throw those lobs to DJ, those uh, transition threes. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm really liking our our starting five even in the interim with without CJ, just because of the the defensive really 
just awareness that that Gary Trent Jr. is going to bring to the team. Isn't Dame, Gary, uh, DJJ, Robert, I mean, it is what it is. We don't have Nurkic, but we do have Ennis. Isn't that four out of the five best defenders on this team? When, yeah, when we easily. did the quick lineups, wasn't that the, the lineup? And I, I know that, you know, Nurkic is, is a much better defender, but he isn't really available right now to play. So this is probably our best unit in the ability to grab rebounds, play defense, and Dame can handle a lot, a lot of the playmaking abilities. With Gary potentially going first unit, who is is Mello's role going to be a, as the the release valve secondary playmaker in that second unit? I mean, I think Mello is the second unit. I think the offense is going to be run through him, and hopefully, it's off of dribble penetration. Like Carmelo Anthony is an elite catch and shoot three point shooter. He's elite who's when initiate? he is. It, is it uh, Anthony initiating it? It 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 has to be. And I don't know. Like that, there there's no like. Oh, it could be this or no. It's it, it's Anthony Simons or Damian Lillard. Those are the only two ball handlers that we have. Um, I, I think I look for Carmelo to have a big impact, and. It may we may have to get some Rodney Hood action. Um, Does Nasty Nas break into the uh, second rotation? I mean, Sage Nasty Nas has a, a big place in my heart. I've been, you know, there's people like calling for Harry Giles minutes, and, and I have been as well. I do like Harry. I feel like I've been on the the Nasir Little like hype train since since we drafted him. Um, I I like what he can bring. I think he brings an energy, a defense. Uh, just a, he knows his role. He's not going to do anything out of his skill set. Um, I would love to see more from, from this year. And so, you know, we, we talked about earlier in the podcast. Does he take the Gary role? Maybe he takes the Rodney Hood role because Rodney then moves up to the Gary role. He's going to have to. And so that was another question I had um, in our starting five was, was Rodney Hood. Like, I think he scored like 18 points this entire season. He did hit a three. He did cut his hair and he, he rocked the headband, which was a really strong look for him I last like game against, against the Hawks. Is it too early to tell that that Rodney Hood is not the same player, or can do? Is there still? I mean, we are. I don't think we've really talked about Rodney Hood in this in the way that we're about to. Yeah, well, I think this is his role as a future trailblazer, um, because whether whether Derek Jones Jr. stays long term or Gary Trent Jr. surpasses him for a starting three, I think Rodney Hood on the Blazers is now a key reserve. I, I don't think. I don't think you're getting starting Rodney Hood just because I think you have a, you have a couple better options um, right now. So yes, I think what role he has now is going to be his role, and I think it's a little bit more amplified because clearly Gary's moving up, and then he's going to get more more of a of a shot. But what do you think, Sage? Is it too early to tell on Hood or or what? Or do you still think he's got some, some gas left in that tank for Rodney Hood? And we both really like him. Love Hood. The devastating Achilles injury has really, really nerfed his ability to move laterally. I think if he is, he kind of reminds me of a better defending Joe Johnson in his later years, where he's he's he he's gonna be a willing shooter, can sort of play make, but he ain't gonna break anybody down. He's kind of like a power forward now, bro. He can jump high if he's if if he's on help defense, he can jump and make a play. I don't think of him as like a guard anymore. I think of him as kind of a bigger, 
a bigger forward because of the the lack of lateral quickness that he's shown. And maybe that lateral quickness comes back next year because Achilles are one bitch of an injury. But right now he he looks slow on a lot of his movements. I feel really happy about it if he's near the basket jumping. I think he still has all the bounce that he had previously. I haven't seen him be a laterally effective defender or use his, his old lateral quickness to create any baskets. So he's kind of right now just like an outlet shooter, potentially, and a help side defense shot blocker. Because yeah. it, 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 that injury is so – it devastates athletes. And so, I think it devastates them almost mentally as much as physically. I, I watch Rodney out there and it almost looks like he's thinking and that's, yes, he's going to be a step slow physically, but I almost think just him, you can almost see the wheels are turning when he's out there. And it, it feels like that's playing a role in him being a step slow. I, I think, I think Rodney just needs one really good game where he gets like over 10 points. Maybe he's in the, the positive on the plus minus column. Maybe he gets a key stop or something just, just to boost his confidence because he's going to get better. And I absolutely, even though we talk about on in text, like, Oh man, Rodney's not playing well tonight or, or whatever, just really sitting back and looking at it from a, a holistic point of view. It is too early to tell he's 13 games in after basically missing over a year of basketball. Like let's give Rodney at least until the end of the first half of the season. Now, if he's still like he is now, then we may have some questions to ask, but, but until then let's let him work through it. And for better or for worse Sage, he's going to get more of an opportunity now to, to play and feel like he has a bigger role because prior to all of the injuries, he was really being kind of worked in super slow, uh, wasn't really being looked at in the offense and was, wasn't really playing more than like 10 minutes a night. We're going to need him to, to step up and play, you know, 15 to 20 and take up, take a bigger role. And if he's got a matchup, maybe he can dominate some of these San Antonio guards in the post and get a couple of easy looks. I mean, at the very least, I'd love to see him become that knockdown shooter because that form is still beautiful, but mm. I think it's just a mental thing of, okay, I'm okay out here. I'm not going to get hurt. And I just saw the ball go in the bucket. Like I'm starting to feel like my old self again. And I think once that happens, we'll see a better Rodney. And I think that is going to also play a huge role in elevating the bench. Because when you look at the bench preseason, you obviously look at it on paper and you're like, we have all these great names, but you don't factor in that, oh, Rodney's recovering from you know, a major injury. It's going to take him time to get back. Just like with Nurkic came into camp a little bit late it's going to take him time to get back to where he was. So it's hard to remove a roster you see on, on your internet screen or your computer screen versus what's actually out there and taking time to gel. So again, for better, or for worse, I think we're going to get a good look into where, where hoodies at after, after this week. And if there's any progress made. And I mean, like, I think that his basketball IQ is saving him because he is a step, a step slow. He knows where he has to be on the court. And if he can just anticipate like a half second faster, I think that his lack of lateral quickness will be uh, lessened. He hasn't played basketball in over a year. So he's going to be a little rusty. Once he gets in a rhythm, I think he'll be able to make the right moves 
with his being a step slow. It's just about his anticipation. If he can anticipate what's about to happen, he's going to make the right move. He's made some clutch blocks and steals. It's not like he's just running up and down the court. He's been making some plays defensively, like on some uh, on some help side blocks. He's gotten a few, and he's made some clutch steals. He has he has a great IQ for the game. It's just his body has on the same pace as what his mind is. And so, Sage, we've been chatting for a bit, and we haven't really discussed the, the major news of the week, which took place in the opening minutes of the third quarter against the, the Indiana Pacers. Yusuf Nurkic fractured his uh, right wrist. He's going to undergo surgery. He's going to be out at least eight weeks. Uh, for reference, the end of the first half of the regular season would be the seven-week mark. So it's not a season-ending injury, but for a player who is so vital to our success, who was just working himself back into the offense, just suffered his third major injury as a member of the Portland Trailblazers um, after dealing with a lot of uh, family issues and deaths um, over over the summer. It just seems like it happened to the wrong person at the wrong time. Like I feel so bad for Yusuf. He was already having a little bit of a, of a tough season, you know, getting getting back into the flow, and you know, he missed the fans probably more than anybody on the team. So. Again, what, what should Portland do at center without Nurkic? Uh, how does this impact his growth for the season? Like, there's just a, a lot of questions that I think we need to spend some time on uh, with this subject. I mean, he he in the game before he had his best best night of the year, where he was a major factor defensively and offensively. He was he was a he was a bully. So. To go from your best 18 and 12 yeah. on six of eight shooting, six of nine from the foul line, which is a, a again a key indicator that Nurk is locked in. Uh two steals, three blocks. Like yeah, huge the performance. Are, the huge stocks. performance against the Kings. Yeah, stocks were the oh, this he's engaged this game. So to go from that to the injury is is a huge bummer for him. No, then I would imagine that they would uh be on the lookout for bigs. Uh, you know, what type of big are you looking for? Are you looking for a, a a bigger, beefier center? Or are you trying to find an athlete? When the Nurk news happened, you know, we obviously all looked at rosters and see, okay, what, what salaries could we realistically match up with what team has a surplus of bigs you know we, we kind of jokingly talk to each other like oh, i wish this maybe have happened 24 hours earlier so we could have just you know swooped in and stole jared allen from the brooklyn nets because that's the type of player i want i want a modern nba5 who can move who can block shots who can rebound um nimble quick uh, I, I don't. I, I think the the beefy NBA center that that era is done. I mean, you've seen what Hassan Whiteside. He went from being a perennial defensive player of the year candidate to not even getting off the bench in Sacramento. And, and that's no knock on him as a player. That's the style and change of pace of the current NBA. You need athletes out there. And I mean, we, we talked about. I think you brought it up actually. I think that the best op if Portland is going to make a trade, I think the best option is to call up Cleveland and say, "You just got Jared Allen. You're Dave Andre Drummond. What do you want for Javale McGee? Makes like three million dollars. That's a trade we can, and you know, really make well. happen. Yeah, and he 
he's athletic. He can move. He can catch lobs. If, if heaven forbid we knew how to throw them, uh, throw them, he can, he can block shots. He's has championship experience. Um, you know, I think a lot of people still have visions of Shaq and the fool when it comes to JaVale McGee, but he's really turned his career around into becoming one of the better centers in this league, especially as a back into, 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 yeah. In today's NBA, like, so I guess, Sage, the first question is Portland is going to add another player. I, I don't think we can can deny that, whether that's a, a signing, a two-way player, or, or a trade. What would you do? Because, I mean, you got to realize Nurkic probably is coming back this year. You still have Ennis. Like, it's it's kind of, you know, the, the chicken or the egg when, when you're looking at do we try to stay above water now and possibly have a huge log jam down the road um, or, or just, just what do you do? Because like, if you get JaVale one, you're going to have to give up an asset for him and you're going to have to play him. You're going to have to play him. So he does help you in the interim, but, but what happens when, when Nurk comes back? Cause you're going to have Nurk and, but Ennis has, you're not going to, yeah, he deserves not, minutes soon. You're not playing JaVale and Ennis. No. So it's th- when, when you kind of speak out loud like that, I, I think it just comes – I think the question that Neil, Terry, Jody, every member of the Blazers brass has to answer is how do you think Yusuf Nurkic is going to – when do you think he's going to return and what level of play do you think he can get to by the playoffs? Because if you're not sure, you go out and make a trade for JaVale McGee mm. or some player like that. If they are sure, I think Portland probably just signs an extra practice body like a Scalabissier. Um, I think what they do with that roster spot will tell us a lot about how they feel about the the proposition of, of New York returning later in the season. Uh, I think that there's a now that Zach Collins is injured and we don't know when he's coming back, a role is opened up for a big man that can shoot some threes. I think that might be a, 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 a an avenue that we can go down and check because Harry can't shoot Nurkic when healthy isn't a good shooter and isn't even going to attempt shooting threes it might be a good time to like for a pick and pop center that can play some minutes now and then has a role in the future I I would love for him to be athletic but I think that a three-point shooting big might be the the way to go if it was me I'm looking at free agencies free, free agents right now and there's you know slim pickings there's some slim pickings but gonna be someone on the scrap heap that neil can find and put into a role like so was a shooter your top attribute that you're looking for in a pickup i think that that might be the best role for for here and later just because of the the lack of shooting from our bigs could be a, a a factor but for for the here and now it's like you just need to be big and be able to soak up some minutes at the five and not kill us so i I mean maybe a shooting big might be the move yeah and that's that's a very good point what what do you think portland should do in terms of start finishing games clearly ennis started last game and, and i assume he will continue uh to start he was the starting center on the team that made the western conference finals uh, the other option is starting Harry Giles and keeping Ennis's uh, rotation as the backup big the same. Uh, you could also make a case for starting Robert Covington as he did in Houston. Uh, we know kind of what Terry will do, Sage. I'm, I'm more curious to see what would you do? It, what is Coach Sage doing 
in the rotations right now for the next eight weeks. I, th- I think for that Atlanta game in, in particular, you look and it's Clint Cabela, John Collins, Onyeka Konwu potentially. There are some big men on that team. So we kind of needed Ennis's size to at least be a, a factor. I, I think Harry Giles might have been overwhelmed by how much beef is on that front line of Atlanta. So for that game, I was I was pretty sure Ennis was going to start. I think I would make it matchup based. I think Ennis will always have his role, but there might be times where Harry Giles gets a spot start against certain teams. Like if we play Dallas in the next seven weeks, I want him on the floor for uh, Willie Colley Stein. I don't want any part of a Luka Doncic Willie Colley Stein pick and roll with Ennis. I would definitely make it a matchup dependent thing on who's starting, but Ennis will always have his role either as a starter or as the the backup getting his 22 plus minutes. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Harry might've not been able to deal with, you know, the size of Atlanta, but Ennis had his, his struggles as well. You know, Clint Capella had 25, 25 and 15 um, against uh, the Blazers, but Ennis was plus 16 uh, only behind Damian Lillard uh, on the plus minus category. He He had a double double of himself, 12 points, 15 rebounds, five blocks, uh, three assists, two steals. I mean, he, he filled it up and played much better in, in the second half. And, and he has Robert Covington and DJ Jazz as the players uh, next to him. Agreed. And so we will really be able to see, okay, can, can Ennis play in this modern NBA? Because we, we talked about in the offseason about how it just felt like the NBA completely changed another level from the year we made the Western Conference Finals to uh, our 50th anniversary season. Like, for whatever reason, just felt like it got more open, more threes, more space, more athleticism. And, you know, Ennis wasn't getting hardly any run in Boston when they desperately needed uh, centers. So it'll be interesting to see how how Ennis works alongside of potentially even Gary Trent Jr. out there as well. So three really strong defenders plus Damian Lillard. Uh, what what can Ennis do? But but I agree. I, I do think Ennis gets his probably going to get thirty plus minutes every night, uh, and then you're just kind of going based upon the matchup. And I think Terry needs to communicate that so players can be prepared. So Rocco knows. Okay, I, I, maybe I'm starting or maybe I'm finishing at the five. Um, Harry, maybe he's he's just getting those those spot minutes, and then Ennis can, can play uh, his regular rotation. Uh, maybe it's Carmelo uh, moving into to the five. Like he's pretty nimble and he he's a really good rebounder. He's strong as hell. Um, maybe that maybe that's an option. Maybe that's a finishing five idea. But Terry has his he has choices. All I ask of Terry is that if something's not working, just try something else. That that I I can't fault you for the situation that you're in. I mean, as much as I am underwhelmed at times and maybe ready to move on from, from a new coach thinking back to last season our proposed starting lineup of Lillard McCollum Hood Collins and Nurkic three of those players really don't exist if you think about it mm. uh, Collins and Nurkic are in the middle of long-term injuries dealing with those and Rodney Hood is recovering from probably the most severe basketball injury uh, that you can experience without, you know, medically retiring. And that is tearing the Achilles Sage. That was our proposed starting lineup. Three of those five, that's 60%. They're not there. We're, we're in a whole new season. So 
even I can admit that's hard to overcome. Like we we've had these visions of what this roster could look like and what it could be, but really the bottom line is we've, we haven't even seen them play full strength. I, I don't consider Rodney Hood full strength right now. Nurkic wasn't full strength to, to start this season. So it, it's, I guess at some point facts are going to say, Hey, this is, this is really the roster you have. You're always going to be in and out with somebody getting hurt or you can keep thinking, okay, maybe next year we'll be fully healthy. Maybe next year. So, I mean, I don't know if Portland's at that point to make a decision on what to do with the, the core of the team, but this year we're in that net, we're in that same boat where it's, man, I wonder what we could do if we were fully healthy. And that's, unfortunate news because we we hear those that phrase way too frequently as blazer fans over the the tenure of our fandom all we can do right now is try and maintain for for dame we have to maintain some i like how that rhymed maintain for dame but i also think it's time for dame to go super nuclear like he did in january of last year like it's time for Dame to, to strap on the backpack, put put the team on his back, and and let let's let's take flight for like two weeks and let him tear up the NBA. What you do as two or three people staring directly at you. I know, and he, the dude's still putting up like thirty Thir- and eight, just like he did. Yeah. Like he's he's incredible. They're looking at Dame right now, like prime Kobe when you could drop sixty on your head at any any time. We talk about know your personnel quite a bit, right? Absolutely. Would you rather have DJJ shoot or Damian Lillard shoot? It's kind of an easy, easy uh, question for every defensive team. We're going to load up on Damian Lillard. And with CJ out for a, at least a game or two, how is Dame going to get space at all to to uh, be as – but when you look at smart teams like Indiana and Toronto – they did a really good job of building that wall against Dame on drives and then making him feel feel you defensively on pick and rolls. So, like, when Dame would take a step forward, he felt you behind him ready to get that chase down block or block, you, block his shot as he rises up. So this is going to be probably the most difficult stretch of his career to get open. And obviously, he has the, the the ceiling that's as high as anybody in the league. So we just need to, to see some ceiling games. But the degree of difficulty on those in these games is going to be tough just based on know your personnel. Like, Ennis Cantor's not going to beat you. But he's not. Dame- but Ennis sets fantastic screens. He is a threat on, on the roll. We have better shooters now than we did in the Western Conference Finals run. We have better shooters now than we did last season even. I know Covington is in a bit of a, of a struggle. Can we um, talk about Robert Covington? Yeah, in, in a second. We definitely will. But I think Damian Lillard, and this is a little on Terry Stotts as well, they're getting an early playoff preview. And honestly, it, it's, it's good to see because I want to see if Portland will make different adjustments. Can, can Dame... Maybe not without CJ, but how is he going to be playing off ball a bit? Uh, can you maybe start splitting the traps or can we start to send cutters? I mean, Derek offers something that we really haven't had. And so hopefully we can start beating teams on the lob. I was actually watching this YouTube channel um, called In the Lab. Um, it was a really great breakdown of the Blazers Raptors game and just like 
you know, we I usually just watch the game once. Uh, I I really only watch them on on the laptop or or on the the app with my PS4. So I don't really know when the next replay is coming. So I, I usually watch the game once. But it was nice to see it and it was paused and and just watching all of the times that like Derek Derek's open a lot oh, on Derek's the lob. Open a lot on lob. And it's it's not just Dame. Like Ennis missed him on an easy lob dunk. I think it was actually the play when we were coming back against the Raptors. Um, and he hit that little baby hook to give us the 61-60 lead uh, in the third quarter. Yes, that shot went in, but the the the, the narrator was saying that that's an easy lob. Derek's already in the dunker spot. Just throw it up there and let him go get it. So I think if, if Portland can just utilize that and start making teams pay, and again, this is why I think Gary's in for a big stretch is because he's one of the best catch-and-shoot shooters we have, along with Mello. You know, get Mello, get Gary out there, and – make defenses pay but but even even then like dame dame is good enough to get his i'll credit indiana they've got a lot of switchability they also were playing at a level of intensity that was kind of blowing my mind tj Um, and edmund summer just and they came back down to earth in a big hurry tonight against the clippers but that's for another day another podcast and i also think the blazers found out about nurkic and subconsciously probably tried to win it all themselves. And that happened right when they were making their third quarter comeback. So um, that was a little bit of a, of an anomaly, but credit Indiana, like they're going to play defense against Dame. Like he's going to, going to be seen. But to your question, I do think Dame will be able to figure it out. I mean that he's, he's not arguably the greatest player in franchise history for no reason. Uh, But to your point on, on Robert Covington. uh, Yeah. We, we need to talk about Cov because, uh, defensively is not where I have my qualms. I, I am starting to think that he's unsure when to shoot. And maybe when he passes up a shot, Terry's like, you have to shoot. And so then he's rushing threes or taking two heavily contested ones, which is leading to, you know, the, these awful shooting nights that we're seeing recently. There are guaranteed three to five plays a game where I'm like, damn, I'm so happy Robert Covington is a blazer defensively. So he'll either dig on a on a, on a, on a drive and force a turnover or he'll use his quick hands to tip the pass or whatever. It's like, oh, I'm really happy about him for these five individual plays. I'm like, whoa, that's that's something spectacular. And then a lot of the time it's like, man, if you aren't getting rebounds, you're not really producing anything. There's times where I think that he can be a better passer, but really we're talking about his shooting abilities. And right now he looks confused. I think that, you know, there, there's that Apple waiting sign around his head offensively sometimes where he doesn't know exactly where he's supposed to be. The defense, his consistency defensively has made it. So the lulls offensively, aren't as devastating but with injuries that have happened to us we need him to be way more aggressive so i'm hoping dame and 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 coach stotts are really getting him ready to take more more threes because he's gonna get open shots playing with damian lillard he has to take the ones that are open that has a, a nice runway for him to launch there's no more passing up open shots to potentially get a worse shooter uh, an open shot it's time for him to be more aggressive 
you mentioned being more aggressive and getting more looks for his career aside from his rookie season he's actually taking the fewest amount of field field goal attempts in roughly the same amount of time uh, on the floor I mean again it doesn't help he's shooting a career low 31 percent from three or uh, 41 percent effective field goal percentage but he's he's taking three less field goals attempts per game this year versus his his stint in, in Houston so uh, and you know that if he played his normal, if he played within himself in the scheme, that he would get those three shots. Get those looks, yeah. He, he's just not taking the shots. Yeah, he's he's passing up on the good ones, and then he realizes he passed up on a good and one. Then and then we'll so he's take like a questionable. Very questionable, yes. Just a very quick in-your-face three. And it's like, no, no, no. Damon, CJ are the one. I think he's taking way too high of a difficulty shots. Yes, on, like, Absolutely. Up a fifth of his attempts are just and is is that concerning that a player we brought in to be a catch and shoot shooter isn't getting open um carmelo's not he he gets open it's just he's not a take he's not taking the attempts are the defenses giving him more respect because i mean i'm looking at players you got gary you got dj carmelo those three guys aren't having problems I mean, they're they're open, and, and I, I would say they're probably better three point shooters th- than Cov. Um, but why not DJ? But those other two players are. Do you think defenses are paying Cov more respect? Is it his spot on the lineup? Should he be, you know, weak side or strong side? Um, it just seems like yes, he is getting some open looks, but he's also getting a lot of contested looks. I think that. I think that he gets the looks. I think that sometimes he hesitates a half second too long. He does. He is the king of hesitating on threes. And I just, I yelled at him on it. Like, just shoot the ball. <laughs> so how about this? How about this? I've been clipping a lot of plays this year. In the next week, I will clip every Robert Covington three-point attempt, put it on the blog, holybackboard.com, and then we can talk about what, is what Robert Covington is doing offensively next week. Because his offensive ineptitude kept him off the floor in that stretch against the Atlanta Hawks. Def- defense be damned. Stotts rode with Carmelo. Um, that what? No, I'm not saying I'm not saying it was the wrong decision. I'm not here to. I'm just saying that. Well, the, Melo, that, that was as, the, as as a man, will never not take a shot. I, I think. I, Robert needs it, it worked though. It worked. That lineup that Terry had in was working. And I'm just saying it was interesting that Covington wasn't part of a lineup that worked when you don't have CJ or Nurkic available. And consider yes, I'm always going to talk about the cost to acquire him because it was it was a high cost. We could have Tyrese Maxey and Moody next year. Like that's a lot. It's it it, it is a, a lot. So I still love Robert Covington. I love what he brings on the defensive end. I think he's going to start hitting his shots. Again, we are 13 games into the season, so it's always time to check myself and kind of reel back in. Like, we are so early into the season, and it's also the absolute most irregular season we've ever experienced. So it's hard to draw too many conclusions. Cub is a professional. Um, He did have a bit of a down year shooting in Houston, and you hope that's not going to just be a trend that continues. You hope he's able to buck that trend because he was getting wide open looks playing alongside Harden and Westbrook. But only time will tell. And Sage, we we have to 
I mean, there, there's no not playing Robert Covington. You, you have to play Rocco. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's his defensive IQ and sometimes brilliance makes it worth it. Um, yeah. So absolutely. I, I'm, I'm going to clip every Robert Covington three and we'll look at it in more detail on the whole, on the Holy backboard site next week. But I, I think it is interesting. He does pass up a lot of shots. He does. He does. He doesn't look familiar in the scheme. And that is kind of confusing because rocket scheme and our scheme aren't really that different. The difference is that we have Ennis or Yusuf or Harry Giles in the paint. And then in the Houston O's five out. So Spacing shouldn't be that big of a factor. I think that it's just him not being used to playing with Dame CJ and whoever else is on the floor with him at the time. But, uh, you know, like when you're playing with new guys, even in, you know, your runs when we could play basketball, it took you a while to really realize I'm going to be right here. My teammate will pass it to me at, you know, in the spots that I like. So it it is a weird time for Robert. But I think that he is a professional and will eventually get uh, get it right. But it, it it is noticeable that he's struggling. I, mean, I think this is his let. This is the worst year he's had in terms of usage rate too. So he really isn't part of the offense a lot of the time. Before we go into this week's slate of games, I have a dribble pass shoot for you, my friend. All right. Given what Brooklyn gave up for James Harden, which was uh, Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, uh, Karooks, and I believe Torian. Torian Prince, and at least three unprotected and four pick swaps. I thought it was four, including... Either way, a a slew of draft capital through 2027. Do you feel like Portland missed out on James Harden. Like, do do you have any regrets that Portland couldn't match that? So let's say it was just CJ salary filler, no, no player of, of rotational concern and that draft capital, like dribble past you would have lost. I think we would have lost that trade. Brooklyn Nets gave up key pieces of a top five offense and a top five defense to get James Harden. Do you think it matters with three top 15 players in the NBA? That's the that's the that's the million dollar question, right? Hundred million dollar question you're asking me. I don't know. Portland versus Brooklyn, and we saw both packages. And let's say the packages were similar. I would feel different than I do now. Right now, I feel like they gave up a lot of capital for three more diva players. Right, Kyrie, Katie, and James have always been more of a. Even though Harden's first game, he posted a 30-point triple-double, which is like, oh. I'm talking that. about personality. Not oh, that. I, I I know, but it's just like. He's a bad motherfucker. Talent, bad motherfucker. talent wins out. Yeah, like so, you, you get a motivated player. Like, I mean, jeez. I, I so, was just. I would talk myself into it very fast. I'd be like, hell yeah, we got James Harden. We got. Yeah, like if we, if Portland were to make a move. circumstances that you're in. Circumstances you're in. And and what's your what's your goal with a trade like this, Sage? Winning it's to w- win a championship. If Rockland wins it this year, it's it's old. worth it. Yep. It doesn't matter what what it doesn't matter because future, future Brooklyn future, fans will remember the 2021 chip. Yeah. 
future ifs, ands, what's, oh, this pick turned out to be that. It, it doesn't matter. You made the trade with the goal of winning a championship. So if that happens, Brooklyn comes out a winner. It doesn't mean anybody else loses, but but they they, they win. They won. Um, if if they get a chip, they win. It, it doesn't it, matter. Like Absolutely. Prayers up to Karis Levert, though. Did you see the news about? I did yeah, the, the the mass on the kidney. So I, you know, hope hopefully he's okay because I really like that trade for for Indiana. I really like the trade for Cleveland to get Jared Allen. Uh, Houston kind of is is a poor team right now, and uh, I think they are the ones that probably took the, the biggest L on this. But as I was chatting with you about it when it came down, I was like, I don't feel too bad because of the way CJ's playing. Like you're getting twenty seven five and four from CJ on 44% shooting from three um, volume attempts, 11 CJ's attempts played from better three. than James Harden this year. So if you can get this Minus CJ, I know it's 13 games. I know it's 13 games, but if you can get this CJ, if you can get all-star CJ, you're okay missing on a James Harden. If CJ reverts back to where he's been as a player, I think then it becomes, is this another, what could have been the one that got away? It really all comes down to that, just in, in my vantage point. What about you? I mean, you know trades have all the luck in the world. For this particular trade, we didn't have the luck on our side. Brooklyn did. The Houston Rockets happened to take Brooklyn's offer. I this don't is know all what theoretical. No, this is all theoretical. You would feel, I, feel, I would feel a lot different if Portland and, and Brooklyn are competing for James Harden and we didn't get him. I would feel bummed. But not knowing where we were in the order of trades, it's hard to feel like we 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 got. I'm bummed out because we didn't get it. I don't know oh, yeah. what the what what the offer was. What if our offer was weak compared to Brooklyn's? Brooklyn gave up a lot. Yeah, yeah. and that's not where I'm at. I'm more just like if 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 this was an offer on the table, and and Brooklyn accepted it, or we just don't have as many draft picks available as Brooklyn did too. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the case as well. Uh, Sage, let's go in and predict this week's slate of games. Portland continues their their January homestand. They have games. Uh, they have an MLK matinee uh, tomorrow against the Spurs. They get back to back games against the Memphis Grizzlies uh, on the twentieth and the twenty second, and then on Saturday the twenty fourth, they take on the New York Knicks. Uh, Sage, where we're at in the prediction standings, uh, your boy picked up a game on you last week, uh, picking the Raptors game as a, as a W. We stole of that. L. We do 11 that shit, though. <laughs> ah, so I'm, I, six I, I mean, and, I'm six and seven. You're seven and six. So I'm coming for that crown. I, I was talking a lot of shit. Texting is like, ooh, I just picked up a game on you. I, I, know, I think you were, like, you, I were you were salty. You were salty. You were salty. A little bit. No, I don't care. I think I'm going to win anyway. But yeah, reduced I salt. So, I was so salty. I don't have infinite confidence that I'm going to win this shit anyway. Anyway, let's let's talk about this these games. So I stand corrected. The Knicks game is Sunday the 24th, not Saturday the 24th. Yes, let's talk about the Spurs. Um, Man, I was getting ready for the damn Memphis Grizzlies. One second. <laughs> a team that is right behind the Trailblazers in the standings. They are at seven and six. A strong road team, five and two on the road. Um, they give up about as much as they score 110 per game uh, and they're five and five in their last 10. So 
it's a game I feel like Portland should win regardless of CJ McCollum or, or Yusuf Nurkic. It's, it's a team that doesn't have a superstar. Um, I, I don't even think they have an all-star, but they're coached by Greg Popovich. They're a respected organization that's tried and true. And they have players that can still give you buckets if you're not, uh, if you're not careful. So I think it's just going to be uh, a next factor is who is ready to play on MLK day at noon local time. Like that we've, we've played game stage at 10 AM Eastern local time, or excuse me, 10 AM Pacific time when we're in Toronto or Charlotte on the, on the road, but a noon tip off at home. It's the earliest I can remember. So that's my biggest factor is, is who's going to be up and ready to play. You know, that, that, that's going to be a weird factor for the players, but they've woken up early to ball in their past. So it shouldn't be that big of a deal. My biggest thing is who's, who's our starting five this game. Would Same you as last, would you start Ennis against pick and pop LaMarcus Aldridge? hundred percent. So you're not scared of him. No, it, Portland wins this game if LaMarcus Aldridge takes 25 or more shots. Like, I want volume LaMarcus shooting. Hmm. So do you think Harry gets any run? Be- oh, yeah. Harry definitely will get minutes. We only have two centers on on the, the roster. He's one of them. So it, it, does he get more than Robert at the five? That I don't know. Because who do you feel more comfortable with? Jakob Pertl against Harry or uh, Robert or Ennis. I mean, I think Ennis would eat Jakob Pertl. I, I I'm not a big fan of of Jakob Pertl. I don't. I'm sure he probably plays all right, but he's again. They just have a lot of players that that don't really scare me. Like the player that scares me the most for them is Derek White, and he he's hurt. He's hurt. Yeah. Like he he is a player I would love to have on this team, but but he's not going to be up there. I think this is a game where Terry can probably experiment a bit and see if you want to go. I think you can have success going small Especially against this team. They're starting lineup for sure. I think this is a team you can also have success with, with. Like Ennis just has to play. Like he's our best rebounder. He's our best screen setter. He plays his role. Uh, he's just so damn consistent. Like you know you're going to get like 13 and 11 every single night from him probably more in a starting role. Um, so I think a lot of it will depend on game flow, uh, foul trouble, uh, what Popovich wants to do. Um, in this instance, I think Portland can match up pretty much however San Antonio wants to go. I think that Ennis, I'm talking specifically Ennis in game flow. I think Ennis starts, I think he gets pulled relatively quickly for you know, a starting center. So maybe he plays five minutes. We go with the small ball lineup, and then Annis matches Jakob for m- m- the the game. I think Annis gets like twelve minutes of starter run, and then matches up with Jakob. I, I think that the person that I'm most scared of, it feels like Lonnie Walker is going to get a lot of open threes. Um, so I think we have to stay consistent defensively on their shooters because. It's a Spurs team without a superstar. They're going to pass the ball a lot and shoot a lot of threes. So we have to be on on point with our defensive rotations. Um, if, we, if we start seeing random Spurs hit threes, that's good, going to worry me. But if we can stay out on their shooters and funnel everything to, into our bigs, I think we win this game. Lonnie Walker and uh, DeMar are the two guys that scare me the most. 
Yeah, I think the Blazers win this game as well. And it's really hard to pick an X factor because everybody's role really outside of and we Damian haven't Lillard. seen any we haven't seen a single game with this certain rotation. It's hard to predict. But if I had to if I had to predict someone, I you know, I I've been talking Gary Trent's you know name off the entire episode. I hope he starts. I want to see how he does as a starter. And I think he's going to have a huge He's going to be my X factor starting. And then I think finish feels like a big Carmelo game off the bench. I think Melo knows, okay, we got two starters down. I've, I've been, I've been around. This isn't my first rodeo. Like it's, it's time to elevate. So I think we're going to get big so Mellow. I do think. Gonna, do you think Mellow playing more is going to give a haircut to DJ J and Rob, uh, Robert? What do you mean? In give terms a haircut? Of minutes? Trim it. Yeah. In terms of minutes. Yeah. No, I think there's, there's you're you're missing. CJ plays damn near 35, 40 minutes a night, and then Nurk's giving you thirty. There's seventy minutes out there. Nobody should really be seeing their their minutes cut. Like there's there's plenty of minutes I think to go around for the starting five plus. Will we see Mel- Mello? I think it's a possibility. Yeah, especially yeah. considering he. It's his first. Did, yeah. Yeah. All right, so we have two games against the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, John Morant is back. He came back a couple weeks early from a pretty gnarly uh, ankle sprain. They are still without uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., but they are currently playing some really strong basketball. They have won four straight. They're 6-6 and on the year, and they have been oddly dominant on the road, 4-1 and um, away from – Memphis, Sage, what do the Blazers have to do to, to get not one, but two victories uh, over this young, up-and-coming Memphis squad? This is a weird time to play Memphis because John Morant comes back and it screws up all the rotations. Um, so it looks like Josh starts out, and then at around six minutes, the bench comes in with uh, Grayson, uh, Melton, Tyus Jones, Desmond Bain, and Xavier Tillman. So they run a very small second unit. Um, I think that it all starts with our defense on John Morant. He is their superstar, so we have to put our our best defenders on him. This is one of those lineups where we have to go big to match up with uh, Jonas. the size. I mean, Brandon Clark and Jonas start at the same time, so... That this is a beefy front line. I think that uh, Ennis has to play big this game. We need him to not get into foul trouble and match Jonas's uh, production. So I think rebounding is going to be the big factor in this game. How can we contain this big Grizzlies team in getting rebounds and uh, defending with the three-point shot? Those are my three X factors for this game is how we defend rebounding and defense. Um, Obviously we have Dame. So we got the superstar that can put up points in bunches. I think we split between Memphis and these two games. I think that we win the first game against Memphis. I think Portland wins both because they have to win both. Um, You're at home, regardless whether you have CJ or Nurk, you're playing the same team twice. It's time to – you just took two from Sacramento, essentially, uh, in Sacramento. Um, 
Brandon Clark is the Grizzly that scares me the most because he gave us the biggest fits last year. He's a, you know, a really bouncy big who can spread, spread the floor, at least against Portland. He can shoot the three. I remember joking with you over text during that bubble run. What if I told you that he plays all of his minutes with Jonas? He'll find a way to hit open threes on this. So whoever's defending him needs to play him out on the perimeter, please. And thank you. I saw enough open Brandon Clark threes for, for one lifetime uh, last summer. Offense. If it was me coaching the Grizzlies, I would try and separate Jonas and Brandon Clark because they eat into each other's skill sets. It's kind of like what the Blazers did. They had two guards that needed the ball in their hands, so they separated them more. Brandon Clark and Jonas kind of do the same thing, except Brandon Clark's more efficient. So I, I kind of like that they play most of their minutes together. Kind of, it kind of uh, nerfs both of their production. I would say for the Blazers, I'm looking to see how we defend John Morant. I don't think it's good enough just to be like, okay, Derek, go play him 94 feet if you're going to just give up easy on, on a switch and just let that switch happen. So then, you know, Ennis Cantor is now defending John Morant. I, I think I think if Portland is smart, they go under every single John Morant screen, make him shoot. Um I think these are both big Dame games. I think this is where the superstar shines bright, just carries us to, to victories. Um, you know, hopefully, clearly you get, you know, clutch shooting from, you know, a guy like Covington or or Carmelo or even Rodney Hood. Um, I'm looking this week to see if Rodney Hood can, you know, hit some big shots. Like this is a bench that I think that Hood could, could probably get a little bit busy. They're, they're, against. They're small. They run Grayson. D'Anthony, Tyus, Desmond, they're all rather short guys. They run four guards. At least they did against the Philadelphia 76ers. I got, I got Portland winning both. Uh, I think Dame, Dame carries us. And then you're, you're looking at the New York Knicks, uh, a team that's coming to town who has fallen back down to earth after a nice start. They're 6-8 and eight on the year, 500 on the road. And, you know, they've got a lot of – they have a new coach, Tom Thibodeau. He's getting a lot of production out of Julius Randle. You're familiar with Julius Randle from his time with the Pelicans, a player who has given us fits. Um, this is, yeah, th- this is an interesting game. Would you match Robert with Julius? Because essentially he's their point guard. He runs a lot of the offense. And he plays 40 minutes in competitive game. A lot of uh, Julius. Honestly, I treat him like a point guard and put DJJ on him to start and make his life shitty. Like, I'm looking up Julius Randle's usage because it's at an all-time high. He is their point guard. He is their all and everything. So to stop the Knicks, you have to stop their all. Julius Randle handles the ball as much as Damian Lillard does for us, man. It is his team. So what we have to do is make life hard for him. I would put... I would put our best defender on him at all times. I mean, does Alfred Payton scare you or Austin Rivers or Reggie Bullock? Nah, RJ Barrett. Like, let them shoot. Let him shoot. Let, let him shoot. Let Elf shoot. And honestly, if he has a bad game, Thibodeau's going to pull him out pr- rather quick because that's what he does. The things that I can guarantee you, RJ Barrett and Julius Randle, if this is a close game, play big minutes in the 40s. They, you know, the normal is 36. Tibbs plays his guys 40. So he's running he's running RJ and Julius into the ground to try and stay in games. Stay stay attached to those shooters. Don't let them get biz. But really, my 
Alpha and Omega is defending Julius Randle. I mean, he's really had a revitalized. This is the career. Julius Randle that, like, this is fully formed Julius Randle. So I think this game is going to be decided in the paint. Uh, the New York Knicks shoot a league low 27 threes per game. Again, we just talked, you want them shooting from the perimeter. They are going to try and pack the paint with Julius, uh, Mitchell Robinson. They are going to try to, to get to slash and drive. I think the Blazers win this game if they are enticing. If it, you want the Knicks, you want that number higher than 27, um, and you want to match some production in the paint. You know, Portland's taking the most threes along with Toronto. So we're never going to be high in, in the paint category, but we, we want to be respectable and competitive in that area. So that's my statistical um, X factor. But but knowing that we need... Force RJ to his right. He has he is a left-handed dominant guy. Force on his right. He he doesn't have a I think right. My X factor is going to be Ennis Cantor. I mean, we talk about points in the paint. That that's our guy who's going to get grab us rebounds, um, keep possessions alive. What's that? Is he on Mitch? Yeah, I think that Dennis is going to get Mitch in foul trouble, bro. He's a foul Ooh, monster. So Ennis is going to get. No, no. Ennis Cantor is going to get uh, Mitch in foul trouble because, I mean, throughout his career, he's been he's he's jump happy. He's a great shot blocker. I think you 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 need to bait him. Mm-hmm. He loves to go for the blocks and throw a little pump fake in there. Stop on a dime. Like make him pay for being overly aggressive, and you take out their best weak side rim protector. Um, and then the, I wouldn't mind Nerlens Noel. Oh, absolutely. We need to uh, match his energy. He always plays well against us. I mean, so I got us winning. What do you have? I have us winning too, but I'm just looking at that bench rotation. Emmanuel Quickly, Dennis Smith, Kevin Knox, Obi, and Nerlens Noel. Let's punish these motherfuckers so we can just watch them in the fourth quarter play weird basketball. Absolutely. All right, Sage. I think that that about wraps it up. Do you want to uh, take us home? Yeah, man. Um, we are available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio. And if you listen to this far, you're a real one. Leave us a positive review on iTunes, and um, that's how that's how we can get to more people. So, thank you for listening, and we're out. Um, have a happy week and stay healthy. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!